I've got one job in our time together through preaching. It is to take those words and to say them to you in a way that makes sense to your head and move your heart toward obedience. So that's our text. Let's do this. Um, Oh, hold on. All right. This is one of those texts of scripture, although I know I'm that way with a lot of them, that there's just so many insights in six verses that you don't know how you could say it all in a hurry. It's like a, a buffet. Where do you begin and end? We were married 20 years a couple of weeks ago. Grace was working for America West when we got married, so we flew to Hawaii for like six bucks each. You know how that used to work? I don't know if it still works that way. Um, this, was our, this was our routine for food. We, would, you know, we were newly married, so we weren't Russian. And about 10, 30, 11, we hit this buffet place, and it was the most delicious food, all this exotic breakfast Hawaiian stuff. You didn't know where to start, and you were just there forever going. And then we'd spend our day, and we'd eat dinner around 7, 8 o'clock at night. This is that kind of a text. I'm going to try and help you eat it, and you're going to be going, i got to go read this again because there's so much more in here for me to chew on. Here's the overarching big idea that I want to press with you. What could it look like for our church, not just the pastors of this church, but the men and the women of this church, to give and receive correction and instruction in a way that is life-giving and mission-advancing? What would that look like for us to do that? And specifically, we're framing this with, Like, what happens if there's some rock stars around us who need correction and instruction? How do we give? How do we receive that together? All right, let me pray. Father, meet us in the preaching of your word. Make us humble. We're seeking to do this in a way that is helpful. So attune our hearts to hear you today. And let any words of mine that are not helpful just evaporate. And let the truth of God in Christ be our bread this morning. Hear my prayer and answer for that, I pray. I pray, amen. All right, let's start here together. Gospel safety time. Everything about our life together, everything about our making of disciples is run through this grid. By gospel, we mean grace for sinners. We mean really good news for very bad people because of Jesus. The gospel is our oxygen. We got to breathe it in and without it we die. We need to learn it and relearn it and re-relearn it, think on it, revel in it, live from it. We want our church to be centered around the gospel. By safety, we mean this. Churches can be very dangerous places. I don't know if you have experienced that before. People actually get hurt in churches. Hurt happens all the time, even in the life of Jesus communities. Now that fact is not a reason for us to walk out on the church. The truth that people get hurt at church is not an open door for me to then say, And so I don't want to be a part of the people of God. I know that you are Americans like me. 
you have mastered the art of playing the victim. We're very good at that. And so we love for any excuse to exit stage left. That would be sinful and also silly. Imagine if you spent time with an incompetent and crooked dentist and your takeaway was, I'm not going back to the dentist anymore. I'm just going to brush my teeth and floss on my own, but I don't need dentist offices. This happened to me. When we were children, we went to a dentist that was incompetent and crooked, and he was jacking up his insurance claims by making all the kids that came to him have lots of cavities. So I remember dreading the dentist. I'd go and I'd have five cavities. Then I would eat vegetables, celery, carrots, no sugar, no Big League Chew, no Dr. Pepper. I'd brush four times a day and floss like this. I'd go back in six months. Five more cavities. What is going on? When we learned what was happening, what did we do? Did we stop going to the dentist? We found a good dentist. That's, that's what life is supposed to be like for us. We know we love and we need Jesus' church badly. What we want to do is build churches that are safe. Reform our churches so that nobody's getting hurt anymore. That's what we mean by this. Not that you are safe to be affirmed in your sin. We love you too much to do that to you. That would actually be dangerous. Not that we're safe, which means we'll make everything perfectly comfortable for you forever. That would be unbiblical. We're called to die to ourselves. Not safe that we'll never take a risk together. The safest thing we can be doing is taking risks relationally, institutionally for the advance of the gospel. Here's what I mean by safety in my brain anyway. Seven Mile Road is not like Shark Tank. Anybody seen that on Friday nights? You're out there, you're sweating, the cameras are on you, you're trying to prove to these people that you have what it takes, you are terrified that they're going to look at you and say, and for these reasons, I'm out on your life. No. Please hear me. Nobody here needs to perform. Nobody's performing here. Nobody is on probation in the life of this church to show us that you have what it takes. Nobody is under any microscope trying to find the faults and the flaws in your life. We're just a bunch of broken people who are trying to obey Jesus together. That means there's room to ask questions. There is space to connect the dots. There is no finger pointing. There is no embarrassing anybody. There is no manipulation. There are no pastors who are using people as a means of their self-actualization. There's no pastors using you as a means to a bigger and better ministry job. None of that is allowed in the life of this church. It's just safe straightforward gospel ministry, all of us walking in the light together, safety. And that takes time. It takes time. So by time, we mean we are in this for the long haul with each other. There's urgency here. There's fervor and earnestness. But there is no rush because nobody changes quickly. Or at least, that is not the story in my life. It takes time, right? 
Growth in holiness takes years, sometimes decades, to see that progress happen. You cannot heal a badly broken marriage in a weekend. You know this, right? Nobody kicks a 10-year porn addiction in one good conversation. Nobody can rework a secular, humanist, atheist worldview that you've had for 30 years through a couple of good sermons. It takes time. So we've got to lean in with each other for as long as this takes. I say it like this. There's no stopwatches at Seven Mile Road. Nobody's like looking for progress in a certain amount of speed. Why are you so slow? That's not the question that is asked here. There's accountability. There's intimacy. There's hopefulness. But there is no rush. Gospel safety time should define our preaching, our gospel communities, our tracks, our life together. And there may be no better scripture in the Bible to show off gospel safety time than the story that Patty read to us this morning. So keep these words in mind and let's work the text of scripture together. I put it up here so that you see it and you know that this is where we're coming from. The first verse in Acts chapter 17, uh, 18 says that after Paul left Athens, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. He's from Pontus, recently come from Italy, Rome, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so here's our first two characters in our Gospel Safety Time story, Aquila and Priscilla. We're going to call them holy exiles. They had been living and doing business in Rome. And because of their connection with the Lord, because they were a part of the older covenant people of God, they were told, you have to leave now. What does it feel like to be an exile? What does it feel like to be a refugee who has been chased out of your home overnight? Imagine if last night was the last time you ever slept in your house or your apartment and the last time you ever wore those clothes or had access to the things that are in your home right now and someone said, are you with Jesus? And you said yes. And they said, don't come back. Arms in front of the door. This is what the Lord allowed to happen to Priscilla and Aquila. This would be tough. Who's our most recently moved into a new place in this church? Suzanne? Right? We just did all this work of bringing all this stuff into her house. She has this really cool Harry Potter closet that when she punishes Henry, she puts him in there. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, right? Okay. Can you imagine if this afternoon all of that work, all of their stuff, all of their hopes for this life in this apartment in Stoneham vanished? That's heavy. Might Priscilla and Aquila be a little angry here? Might they be a little bit upset? Might they be a little haggard? Might you be? Come on, I know you people. The slightest little discomfort in your life and you're angry. You know what hangry is? You're hungry and you're angry. You miss one meal and you're just like upset. Forced out of their homes because of their connection to the Lord. Might this fray their marriage some? Have we not seen that before? 
A marriage goes through hard times, and what does the husband and wife do? They turn on each other, and it's an excuse for distance. None of those things happen with this couple. I want you to feel it. They press into each other. They land in this city, and they are all in on the life of Jesus and his people and his church, ready to make disciples. May Jesus give us resilient people like that. That's Aquila and Priscilla. All right, next character, my man Apollos. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. All right, native of Alexandria, boom, you know what we're talking about here. This is a kid who grew up in Weston and went to BB&N and then to Harvard and has grown up in a very ambitious, very bright, very educated world. That's Alexandria in this time. And he was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures, having been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he was fervent in spirit. All right. Another way to say this is Apollos was a rock star. Let's work on these three descriptors so that you have it in your head. Number one, he was eloquent. Have you ever met somebody who's just great with words? They just have this different thing going on that when they speak, oh, everything makes sense now. Oh, I I like listening to them. Wait, she just spoke for 40 minutes? I thought it was like 30 seconds. That was helpful that they were able to take concepts, ideas, truths, and say them in a way that I was able to grab them. That's eloquent. That is very rare. It's a gift from God. Apollos had it. Second thing, he was competent in the scriptures, having been trained in the way of the Lord. So this is a theological monster. This is the kid who killed all the Bible quizzes when he was little. You don't play Bible trivia pursuit with Apollos. He'll be flying around the board and you'll still have like one pig or peg or however that works. MDiv, THM, DMIN, PhD. He contributed to the ESV study Bible. That's who Apollos is. You feel this? Good talker, smart kid, well-trained. And then what was the third point? Fervent in spirit. He's got fire. Okay, now this is very unusual. Have you ever met the really gifted, really well-educated, lazy person who just does enough to get by and keep themselves? Not Apollos. He's got Red Bull running through his veins. Zealous with knowledge is exciting, isn't it? I mean, zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge without zeal is a waste of time. You give me zealous and knowledgeable, and then you make him a great speaker, we have a rock star on our hands. Larry Osborne calls this type of young leader an eagle because they're just ready to fly. This would be a young Matt Chandler or a young Charles Spurgeon or a young Lauren Hill or a young Hillary Rodham, or a young Mark Zuckerberg, right? Well-educated, well-spoken, fire about whatever they're into. This is Apollos. 
He's the total package. Huge potential to hurt people, like some of the names that I just said, and huge potential for good for Jesus' people and his mission. All right. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, but he knew only of the baptism of John. So Apollos, by the grace of God, is all in on Jesus. He's all in on Jesus. When this says that he's in on Jesus and he knew about the baptism of John, that would be code for everything that John brought to the table in his ministry. So Apollos has his Bible open and he knows his older covenant and he's leading people to Jesus as the Christ. John said it like this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was the gospel that Apollos was preaching about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our place for our sins, about the arrival of the kingdom of God and the need to repent shown off by baptism for the repentance of sins. So he's all in on Jesus. He, he's aware of John and his gospel. He's proclaiming it with boldness in the synagogue. But, but, he is missing out on some big doctrinal truth. He is got gaps, holes, issues with his teaching and his theology. Remember, these stories in the book of Acts are real-time stories. So... Pentecost had just happened years before, and there was no Snapchat or Twitter or uh, Fox News to like catch up on what was happening over in Jerusalem if you're from Alexandria. And so he didn't know about the outpouring of the Spirit. He didn't know about this massive thing that the Lord had done to explode his Spirit into the lives of individual women, men, freedmen, slaves, Jews, Gentiles. He just didn't know. He, he, he was short, shallow in his theology. He didn't know. So he's not a wingnut, like way out in left field. We know how to respond to those folks. We love them. We put our arms around them gently, but we don't give them the mic. He's not a wolf, harming, dangerous, preaching heresy. We know how to handle those folks. It's not with an arm around them. There's some other things we do with our extremities, and we move them out from a voice in the life of the church. He's none of these things. He's just solid, but young, and he's mistaken in some places. What does our boy Apollos need? He needs some correction, and he needs some instruction. Okay, next verse. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, of course, right? Like, you get the feel that he doesn't do anything that he doesn't do boldly. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, let me just leave this dot, dot, dot. Let's get in the room as this service ends, okay? First century synagogue, some believers, some Jews, the gospel's being expounded. End of the service. What is our boy Apollos thinking? I just killed that thing. Isaiah 53, Psalm 2, Genesis 22, finding Jesus in the Older Covenant. Boom, drop that mic. Let's go get some wings. Put yourself in Priscilla and Aquila's shoes. 
are holy exiles who realize that Apollos is off in some places. What do they do after the service? Another way to ask that question is, how do you love a rock star who needs correction and instruction? Okay, what could happen here? Teach you to read your Bible that way, right? Read it and then pause and say, what do I expect to happen? So one thing they could do is nothing, right? Pats are on at one. I'm hungry. He's off theologically, but not my problem. Let someone else deal with it. Move away from the importance of truth and move away from the person who needs to be loved. They could have done nothing and that we don't get this story in our Bible. They could have just grumbled to themselves on the drive home, you know, who does that kid think he is, doesn't even know about Joel's prophecy and Pentecost? Let anybody in the pulpit nowadays. And not been helpful to him. And not been helpful to the church. What else could they have done here? They could have embarrassed him publicly, right? Just slammed on him right there. Is that possible? They could have scolded him privately. Just talk down at him. I've got a few things to tell you, Apollos. They could have attacked him behind closed doors. But they don't do any of those things. They've got this love for gospel truth and this love for people. And so they move toward Apollos in love. It says that they took him aside And they explain to him the way of God more accurately. Okay, let's work this together. First of all, this word, they. Let's spend some time here. This is important for us to do, especially in the echo of Caleb's track, finishing up for the year. They is Aquila and who? Priscilla. A man and a woman. Correcting and instructing a man in the life of the church. I love this. All right, let's spend some time on this explicit statement that a woman was teaching and instructing and correcting a man in the life of the church. This side, without apology and with energy and with fervor, we embrace and champion the crystal clear teaching in Scripture that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and there is a beautiful distinction between them and hundreds of implications for adorning the gospel with embracing our masculinity or our femininity. We're all in. One of those implications is that there is a type of teaching. Paul calls it teaching and exercising authority in 1 Timothy that is reserved for called, gifted, qualified, ordained men that we call elders or shepherds, in the life of the household of God. We're all in on that. That truth is not rooted in some archaic, first century, ridiculous cultural reality. It is not rooted in some ridiculous Will Ferrell, anchorman, macho, men are superior to women, foolishness. It is rooted in the creation order and the creative intent of God for us. That's where that is. That kind of teaching we have in the life of our church. 
I'm happy to walk through 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter, Genesis with anybody who would say, can you help me see where you get that and what that looks like? But we're all in on there is a sense of teaching that's over in this hand for the good of the church to the glory of God. That said, there is another sense, a real sense, and a much more high volume, high frequency sense in which it is not only appropriate, it is crucial that women be teaching men in the life of our church, that men be learning from the women in the life of our church. Not only appropriate, but crucial. That's what we get right here. Priscilla, holy, in submission to the Lord and to her husband by his side, is correcting and instructing Apollos. That kind of teaching should be happening all the time in the life of our church. I mean, of course it should, right? Of course it should. It's mom's day. What family on earth has not benefited from the wisdom, the correction, the instruction of their mom? Where in the world would you be without that? What husband in this room has not learned to shut his mouth and listen and receive and be corrected and gospeled by his wife? And if you haven't learned that, we, have, we need to go get wings after service together. Jesus-loving, Bible-loving Christians and churches have always understood this to be true, always. Let me give you one example because I love John Calvin's commentary on this. Like every man born, between, born before 1973-75, John Calvin has been accused of being anti-women in his commentaries and in his institutes. But John Calvin loved the word they in this text. He loved Priscilla and Aquila in here. He was so frustrated that the Roman Catholic Church in his day refused to train and equip and read the Bible with women in the life of the church. It drove him crazy. Here's what he said about the word they in this text. We clearly see that at that time, women were not so ignorant of the word of God as the papists would have them be. Feel that? As we see that one of the chief teachers of the church was instructed by a woman. He writes that and he goes, who doesn't love that? That is beautiful. In other words, yes, Priscilla taught Apollos and it was awesome and everybody benefited from that exchange. And then, of course, he says, other hand, notwithstanding, we must remember that Priscilla did execute this function of teaching in her own house that she might not overthrow the order prescribed by God and nature. Do you feel how he's all in on both of those? There is a way for Priscilla to go about correcting and instructing Apollos that is humble and appropriate and helpful. Do you feel this? There's a teaching function over here, and there's a teaching function over here. And I want them both so bad in the life of our church.
Do you know who some of the most helpful teachers in my year have been? Can I run down the list of names for you? And I just did these quick when I was typing this up. Okay, Allison. Was anybody here when Allison spoke for 90 seconds about her time in Kalos track and just like dropped the mic? I was terrified to come up and preach to you after that. She was just like, I'm a sinner and I need to know what it looks like to repent, something like that. I was like, I'm not preaching what Allison said. Let me just rip my shirt, put some ashes on my head and repent before Jesus for half an hour. Allison corrected me and instructed me that day. I mean, Patty spoke today, but have you ever spent any time with Patty? And you just want to go, can you just keep talking, please? Because the way that she says things and her insight and her life is just like, teach me. We've been leading in Kalos track together. It's just been extraordinary for my soul. Were you here when Sarah Gagnon spoke? She's five foot two. She was like 10 feet tall up here just blasting us with gospel truth. If you're a man, were you too proud to receive from her that day? I mean, that would be terrible. Rachel was in our track. She's got this mind trap for gospel truth and just fired it on us all year long. I read this or it says this in the Bible and she's taking truth and pressing it. And I'm just like, hold on, I got to write that down. Being taught by my sister, Rachel. Uh, Mara had some aligned this weekend in our time together. I'm just never, I will never forget the passion which was she spoke about her and Matt going after Jesus together. Like I was so moved and instructed by that. You ever read Rosaria Butterfield? Buy her books and read her blogs because they are so helpful. Does everybody feel this? Every woman in this church should feel free and encouraged to teach and correct and admonish and disciple in that sense of the word. They. You didn't think I could get so much from just one word, right? All right, they. I just want you to not forget that, Priscilla and Aquila together. Okay, they what? They took him aside, took him aside. Here's safety. Feel the safety with me. Feel the gentleness. They do not scold him publicly, do they? Does everyone see that? I'm 99% sure this would have been into their home. That's just the way this would have worked. They would have shown hospitality. They would have said, Apollos, you're a rock star. We're so excited about what Jesus is doing in your heart. Can you come sit on our Ikea couch? Can we give you some of our sweet tea from Trader Joe's? Can I let you eat some of these cookies that we made. And can we get to the difficult place of talking about some of the things that you said today and some truth that you're missing in the safety of my home? Everybody feel that? Here's how I say that, alliteration. The home is much better than the hallway for this conversation. So I talk a lot, which means I mess up a lot, which means there's ample room for me to be corrected and instructed. That's happened to me in the hallway, and it's lousy. Everybody's watching. You're defensive. You're being attacked and scolded. Is it safe to grab me in the hallway and come at me? No, that's not safe. 
Is it gentle? No. Are we to be that way with each other? No way. This is safety. This is also gutsy. This is not a fun conversation. We have, we have had these before in the life of our church. You are risking stepping into a place that may be tender. Hey, Apollos, you speak way better than we ever could. You are way smarter theologically than we are. But there's some things we think we could be helpful to you with. Could Priscilla and Aquila have some guts right there to take that step? And of course, feel the humility in took him aside. They don't mind that they're just going to be parishioners in the pew and that this eagle is going to fly. They are willing to help him fly well. That is safety on display. Took him aside. And then, of course, last part of this verse is the gospel. So concerned with truth that they walk him slowly, accurately through the outpouring of the Spirit. They probably borrowed a scroll from the synagogue and went to the book of Joel and said, this happened. And you need to understand it so that it can inform your preaching of the gospel. Does everyone see the gospel and the safety and the time in their response? And does everyone see how Apollos responds to them? Don't miss that he was on the receiving end of a hard conversation and he took it with no pride. This was a plumber and his wife, right? Apollos, uh, Aquila, and Priscilla were tent makers, trades people. Super rock star from Alexandria is receiving correction from an electrician and his wife. Is that beautiful? This was no small modesty in which which was in Apollos, in that he doth suffer himself to be taught and instructed, not only by a handy craftsman, but also by his wife. Apollos was mighty in the scripture and surpassed them, but as touching the accomplishment of the kingdom of Christ, Aquila and Priscilla do polish and trim him, who might be scarce fit to be ministers. In other words, you want a safe church? How about just the regular people in the life of the church, safe to get the eagle aside and say, let me serve you, let me correct you, let me love you. How about that eagle receiving the correction and the instruction? What's the result? The results are beautiful. And when Apollos wished to cross to Achaia, The brothers encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Oh, man, do you feel this? What's an eagle going to do? It's going to fly, right? What's a rock star going to do? They're going to go out on tour, and they're going to do their thing, right, and smash some guitars. They're going to go. What happens when Apollo says, I've received instruction. Now I want to go. Do they hold him back? Do they hold him down? wait a minute, you just flubbed up two weeks ago. You think we're going to let you loose on the world? You're not ready for this. Now, with wisdom and with care, this church, beginning with Priscilla and Aquila, welcome this man with open arms and love and straight talk and happily shaped him and sent him and shaped him and sent him. And what's the result for Jesus' church? Last verse, 
when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. What's this? This is the result of gospel safety time in the life of a church. People are helped. The gospel flies. Hearts are one for Christ and encouraged. All because of the character of Aquila and Priscilla and the character of Apollos. I long for us to have that kind of character in our church. All right, questions for you to think on and we'll pray. Here they are. Number one, whether you are a man or a woman, do you have a heart, a vision for being trained and equipped so that you can love folks like Apollos? Pastors are called to that work, but so are all of us. Do you have a vision for what that could look like for you? If you happen to be in a marriage, do you have a vision for your marriage being this safe of a place to make disciples? Your marriage being healthy, united, available, safe? Wow, that would be a beautiful vision to catch this morning. How about for all of us? Are we willing to be patient and tender and gentle and direct with the rock stars and the young people that Jesus gives us? Do we have a heart for that? June, July, and August, I'm not going to be preaching. I'm going to be giving my creative efforts to doing some writing of some field guide stuff for our church and the churches that we've been planting. So this pulpit's going to have four or five of our younger men who are either pastors or being trained to be pastors. They're all within their first, what, 30 sermons still? Definitely their first 50? That's some raggedy ground right there when you're in your first 50 sermons. I know. How about you love them this summer? How about you help them? How about you say, hey, I love you, you're safe, and you're talking too fast. I can't hang with you. That's too many words that you packed in there. Or you're talking too slow. Can you, like, bring some more energy? They're not going to be offended by that if they know that you are for them and it's safe. And, of course, it's the same thing in your gospel community. It's the same thing with our kids. Do we have the patience and the tenderness and the desire to envelop with love and to see thriving? Okay, and then if you are an Apollos, and I know some of you are, will you receive those conversations or not? It's a huge question. One of the reasons that I trust Matt, Moran, Pastor Matt, with my life and soul is I've seen how he and Laurel have responded to those conversations. They came here and Kev sat with them and said, you guys should not be leading anything right now. We need some time here to get you healthy, to get to that place. <laughs> How does that conversation feel? You want to receive that kind of correction? But when there's humility to be led and loved and say, I want to serve the church, you tell me, I'm in. Beautiful things happen. I have also seen the gross other side of responses, not like Matt and Laurel's. Up in those offices, we've had a few of those. Apollos's with huge potential who are too proud for Priscilla to correct them. 
for Aquila to instruct them. If we have a meeting and I finish by saying, can I share a proverb with you? There's more hope for a fool than for one who thinks highly of himself. That's not a good meeting. You're not acting like Apollos. If you feel like you've got fervor and gifting and capacity and intellect, and you're going to make a mark from Jesus in a pronounced way, please humble yourself. Open yourself up to correction and instruction so that this can happen for Jesus' church. Think on those things, what applies to you. Let the Spirit stir them in you. All right, let's pray to God. Father, thanks for these words. Thanks for your gospel. Jesus, thank you that you were the safest man who has ever walked the earth. That you had hard words to say to hard and rebellious sinners who were hurting people. And I'm glad that you knew what to do with a wolf, Lord. But you also knew what to do with lambs. And that's who we are. So I pray that you would stir the hearts of our church to be tender like that. And I pray that the church would be built up strong because all of us are in with each other for the long haul. Let the grace of your spirit be with us. That's my prayer.